0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member of
1: This is CLNS Radio, the home of Internet Sports Talk
0: Celtics feet with Daniel Baker Good evening, Celtics fan and well Celtic fans, and welcome to Celtics Feet. I'm Rich Conti. I'll be your host tonight, filling in for Daniel Baker and alongside me. I've got stats. Adam, Adam Lowenstein.
2: Uh, doing very well, Rich. always, always glad to be a part of this show, and it'll be fun, be like a new experiment with us here doing this uh, Celtics speed. It'll be an interesting show going into the off season here with the draft upcoming, with all these crazy rumors and all this stuff going on with the NBA playoffs still going on.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about those rumors. Uh, quite a few of them uh, this past week. I mean, the odd season hasn't even really started. Um, you know, it's it's the playoffs are still going on, and the the off season hasn't officially kicked off. But we've already got some chatter involving the Celtics, and a a lot of it seeming to involve Stephen A. Smith.
2: <laughs> Stephen A. Smith is an interesting, and of course, most people in Boston aren't a big fan of him because of his New York bias, but you got to talk about how this guy is just all over these weird rumors and, and talking about, and I, I recently saw, and I think we were discussing before the show, but he talked about Doc Rivers, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, heading to the Clippers for Jordan, Butler, Griffin, and Bledsoe. And, of course, the, the money does phase out. It works pretty well. It's kind of funny that it does. It. It's just such a weird trade that, if anything, this sellers would be getting younger. They'd be very lucky with this trade. But, really, is it actually realistic?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see what the Clippers' motivation for making this deal is. Um, you know, they've been giving up quite a bit of talent in the deal and uh, getting back some uh, some big contracts that uh, you know, run out in a year or two for a couple of players who are obviously battle-tested and, and capable of putting a, a championship contender over the hump. But um, – Wow, uh, you know, to give up Blake Griffin for a year or maybe two years of Kevin Garnett and um, Paul Pierce, that that seems like a little bit of an
2: uneven trade. And I was listening to Danny Ainge this past week, and he talked about how there was no association with the Celtics as far as this trade goes. He had not heard about anything in his uh, you know, in his office and in his people talking about it. So very interesting that it comes out of just left field with Stephen A. Smith here, and you know, of course he likes to create the buzz. And I think that's already part of this situation. But when you look at it, it's cutting it's cutting Chris Paul at the knees. It's not even allowing Chris Paul to do anything really. It's taking away basically every single option that he has on this team, and then just bringing in two veterans that who knows if KG's even playing next year, let alone going to be able to help the Clippers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a couple of, um, you know, some more chatter floating around around the Clippers that that Chris Paul was unhappy with uh, DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and their inability to really take the game seriously. I think some of the quotes were that they were less focused on winning and more focused on running up and down the court and getting lobs for dunks. And so, you know, I'm not sure how much of that is actually coming from Chris Paul, coming from his camp. Of course, he's up, uh, he's a potential free agent this summer. Uh, the Clippers can give him a bigger deal than anybody else, and it would seem like, um, you know, staying in L.A. would be his best option. So it, it's hard to tell how much of this is coming from the players, how much of it is being fabricated by the media, and if it is being fabricated to some extent, you know, really, what's the motivation there? What's the agenda?
2: Exactly. And and if you think about it, you know, of course, this Clippers trade, the only reason why we think that it might be you know, might have a shot of going through is because of the Doc Rivers element. And of course Doc has been so great for the Celtics team. And I talked about on C L N S right near the end of the season, his combined number of wins in regular season wins and postseason wins, and he is the second most in Celtics history. He did a fantastic job for the Celtics over his time here, and every year he talks about it is a one-year contract. Even though he signed the five-year deal just about a year ago or so, I think it might have been two years ago, they signed the deal after they fell to the Miami Heat in the second round. It's it's one of those things where he's, he's a one-year contract every year, and he discusses it, and he thinks he loves this place, and he does. And the Celtics love him, too, even after the booze that all the fans were giving him in the bad years between the playoff runs but he has done such a great job for this town, one of the best coaches in Celtics history. So it would be interesting to see what part of that trade or why he was part of the trade. It makes sense because that kind of evens it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly Doc's stock is higher than it's ever been. Um, you know, strangely enough, even higher than it was, I think, after the 2008 championship. Uh, you know, just the job that he did with a with an injured team, a team with a lot of veterans, and just his ability year after year to kind of extract every length, ounce of effort out of those guys, I think has really kind of raised his visibility across the league and made him a pretty hot commodity. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that with this, you know, rumor of the trade, and then there was another rumor floating around that the Um, That may actually have a lot more substance to it, that the the, um, Brooklyn Nets, who, of course, are looking for a coach after letting go P.J. Carlissimo, um, are trying to get permission from the Celtics to talk to Doc.
2: Yeah, that's a weird situation too because if you're looking at the Nets, you're saying okay, they've already gone through two coaches within a year, and now they fired PJ, who had a great regular season, and then they're looking at Doc. I highly doubt he'd go within the division, or at least the Celtics would allow him to go within the division, because when you look at it, the Celtics have such a great, uh, you know, such a great contract with Doc, and he's one of the best coaches, one of the highest paid coaches. And I was looking over at Vinny Del Negro's status out in L. A. He got more votes, I think, for first place this year for the coach of the year than Doc did. But Doc is still arguably your top coach in the league. He's up there with the Popoviches. He's up there as a, a possible Olympics head coach. So it's just great to see that he's getting, you know, he has such high stock. And I think that's what Celtics fans are so happy to have. It's just a great job that he did.
0: You know, could could you see him leaving Boston? It seems to me he's he's really grown uh to become part of the fabric of the city and the fabric of the franchise really. And you know, certainly uh the Nets have uh maybe more talent on paper than the Celtics do right now, but certainly they don't have any tradition of winning. Um they have a little bit of a um I guess you could say unstable situation in ownership from one perspective. Prokhorov certainly has deep pockets and has shown a willingness to spend. Um, But he hasn't really distinguished himself, I think, with with showing the ability to kind of, you know, run a franchise and, and, you know, kind of serve as that steadying presence as an owner. And so I have a hard time seeing Doc kind of jump into that situation where, you know, he's got that great relationship with Danny. Um, You know, certainly if Pierce and KG come back, I think that almost – certainly indicates that uh, doc will be back so i have a hard time seeing him leave the celtics but just curious if that's you know my perspective uh, or if anybody else shares that
2: yeah he is part of the celtic he is a celtic for being here for almost a decade and having so many playoff runs being the the fabric of the big three it after ray allen left that was definitely doc rivers paul pierce and kevin garnett are the big three in boston and you know i think who would be better in I feel like, or was there a few other guys that the the Nets would rather have, I think, than, than Doc Rivers, just because the Doc situation is he's in the division, he's with the Celtics, and he's just a Celtics player, that's who he is.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting. Certainly, um, you know, if the Celtics did give him permission to talk and, and, you know, he did move along to Brooklyn, Celtics would certainly expect some compensation from the Nets, so that might uh, turn into an interesting situation. But I'm with you. I have a hard time seeing it. Um, you know, as you said, there will be no shortage of uh, suitors for that Brooklyn Nets job. They do have some some talent in place there and an owner who's willing to spend if he can put up with his um, idiosyncrasies. So, you know, I think they'll, they'll have their choices of candidates, but, you know, I find it interesting Interesting that um, you know several of the rumors, the the, the potential Clippers trade, the um, you know, the Doc to the Nets um, rumors, and even some talk about a, a rift between Danny Ainge and, and uh, Doc Rivers, all kind of trace back to Stephen A. Smith. I think the phrase that that Smith used in in regards to the sell, the um, Doc Rivers, Danny Ainge's relationship is that they're tired of seeing each other's faces. And uh, I don't think it's an accident that Stephen A. Smith has a, um, a long history and a personal relationship with the next GM, Billy King, who he, Smith knows from back in his uh, Philadelphia days. Um, you know, do you, do you think this is the case of, of Smith trying to stir up some trouble and, and you know, maybe create some friction that might uh, benefit his uh, friend in uh, Brooklyn right
2: now? Now that's a very interesting part of it because I I did not know that connection and if there is a a stirring of the pot as you would say that, that that's very interesting and it, because with with the Celtics there are you know the, the, the national media does not cover them for for being the best franchise in NBA history they are not as covered as even the Nets now or many of these teams, and Stephen A. Smith is a New York guy, and that does factor into it. The Celtics just don't carry as much cachet as some of the other teams, and having Doc Rivers in Boston attracts free agents, and if Stephen A. Smith is trying to push him towards Brooklyn, that would be a very interesting part of it, because there's definitely a possibility. I, I do like that that theory.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I kind of agree with you about the media's treatment of the Celtics. I think a lot of it actually stems back to the fact that the Celtics fan base is, you know, tends to be so stable and deeply Mm -hmm. entrenched that, you know, know, um, they do have fans across the country, but, you know, there isn't a lot of kind of attracting those new fans um, in the same way that, you know, some of the franchises like the Heat and whatnot. And so I think they kind of fly under the radar a little bit with the national media only because, you know, there's... It's just such a stable franchise with such a long history to it that um, it, it, they're almost a boring story, I think, to the media in some ways. You know, re- regardless of uh, you know what their fortunes at a given moment might be, and so I think that uh, contributes
2: to the to their treatment. No, that's very interesting. It makes sense because when they have arguably one of the best fan bases in the in the league, and and I've heard many commentators except for I guess Marv Albert now. Think that they are the best fan base, and it's just great. Or we are—we are the fan, fan base. We can consider part of the fan base. I think we are, and it's—it's it's a funny—it's a funny thing because you know you don't see this Lakers, Lakers saga happening in Boston, but this off season, people are going to be covering it because it could be the end of an era and and the end of this fantastic era, where. They, the Celtics already have moved themselves a little bit towards the future. They have a starting lineup that they could do without Pierce or Garnett. It's just the defense is going to be tough to, to uh, contribute because Kevin Garnett, arguably one of the most important defensive players in the league in the last decade or the last two decades because I think the Celtics are about eight points worse for 100 possessions with him off the floor, and that's obviously one of the most important players as far as the defensive end goes. So that's really what they're looking at with this KG, whether leaving or coming back. And I think that's where if Jaron Sellinger comes in next year, and that's two injuries that the Celtics have to worry about going forward, there are many different parts of the Celtics team going forward that, they, that there are question marks. Even Avery Bradley may be losing his confidence until that 20 over run at the, end of the, uh, at the end of that Knicks series. There are just a lot of question marks, but a lot of talent, though. Yeah, you know,
0: I, I think their core isn't, um, or the cupboard's not quite as bare as some uh, folks make it out to be. Um, you know, certainly, um, at a minimum, Pierce and KG need to transition to smaller roles, complementary roles. Um, you bring up Avery Bradley and his um, the part he played in that 20-0 run in the fourth quarter of uh, Game 6 uh, last week. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think that run may may turn out to be really important for the Celtics' future. And Nick and I talked about that a bit last week. In that, you know, what I saw done in that run was I saw you know, Avery Bradley and and to a great extent Jeff Green kind of recognize that they can't wait for Pierce and KG or you know when he's in the lineup Rondo. To, to make a play, you know they need to be out there having an impact, whether it 's on the defensive end, whether it 's offensively, they need to be out there trying to make plays rather than just playing off of the other guys if this team is going to you know really contend and be successful and I think the light bulb kind of went off at that in that desperate moment, being down twenty six and I think they really you know took took the torch there and and really stepped up um, you know Bradley, obviously he uh, had been having a, a very tough series up until that point um he had real trouble even just containing Raymond Felton where, you know, containing point guards tends to be his, you know, strongest suit. And I saw a guy who just decided to, you know, dig in and 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 be as disruptive as possible. And they need that Avery Bradley on on the defensive end, and and his offense kind of came out of it. And same thing with Jeff Green. I, I think he recognized that Pierce and KG, you know, really were struggling and 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 couldn't step up and and be that fulcrum offensively that they've been for so long. And without Rondo up there, it was really on his shoulders. And I think he. um shifted into this mode, you know, hit a couple of shots and shifted into this mode where he just became incredibly aggressive. And, and it was funny because, you know, if it was any other guy, I think fans might've um, felt he was forcing things offensively. If you notice there are a couple of uh, drives to the basket where he was careening out of control a bit, stumbling through the lane, you know, stumbling through the uh, the many hands hacking at him by the Knicks and, um, you know, but with Jeff Green and and, and a guy who's, you know, the biggest knock on him has been a lack of aggressiveness, a lack of assertiveness offensively. I think it was kind of refreshing to see, and certainly in that moment it was necessary. Uh, the Celtics were just had nobody who could generate their own uh, shot. So being that aggressive you know, and, and almost forcing things offensively were, were, were really called for in that situation. It's the toughest thing with Jeff
2: Green. People, The fans have always been on him for the, the short amount of time that he has been in green. Uh, there's aggressiveness. You're right. And I'm glad that I've now seen Jimmy Butler in the playoffs of the Bulls. And, of course, you can see the comparisons between this, this Celtics team and the Bulls team, just the, the heart. But Jimmy Butler has absolutely no emotion. He'll hit a, a, a three-point play near the end of the game against the Heat and he absolutely no emotion. At least Jeff Green has shown a little bit recently. And I think that's what people are seeing from, this, from him taking the torch. You're absolutely correct. Jeff Green, I think, attempted more than, ha- more than double the amount of free throws that Carmelo Anthony attempted in that final game against the Knicks. Of course, there was the loss. They did lose. But Jeff Green has taken over in you know, some games We remember the, the first game That he even got his coming out party Was when Kevin Garnett sat out I think this was in Phoenix And he had his career high in points Or he had you know, he had his most efficient game of his career I think that's what it was 31 points, 11 to 14 from the field And that was a green night And that was great to see And then he complimented that With that Miami game With the career high And then he had some other games That were fantastic And Jeff Green has shown Amazing potential as a starter He has scored in 10 more minutes as a starter He has scored 10 more points as a starter per game this season. I think he started 17 games during the regular season. This is what's going to come into next year. If he can start all 82, which he played in all 81 this year, which is great to see from him after coming off the surgery, it's amazing that he did that. He is definitely the star of this team now. And, of course, Rajon Rondo is going to be handling the ball. You want Jeff Green scoring the ball on a consistent basis. And if you get it to him a lot, he's developing that shot as well. He was one of the best three-point shooters in the league during the stretch as well. That was a great thing. He hit those big shots in one of the games in the Knicks playoff series and he had some great shots as well. So that's great to see from Jeff Green because there's a lot of bright spots coming from him going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the three-point shooting more than anything else opened up people's eyes. I think he shot close to 45% for the season uh, from three. And, you know, he could be that guy. I'm curious what you think his ceiling is as kind of a primary offensive option with a with a healthy uh, Rayshon Rondo in the lineup.
2: See, that could be huge. His three point percentage was increasing by a
0: huge
2: margin this year, and he finished off with a 53%. April from three points and then continuing in the playoffs and had success with Russia and Rondo setting it off and setting up Avery Bradley, they have enough offensive weapons to be a better than a bottom 10 offensive team. They can go forward. And I think what this happens is it's so tough to tell because Roger and Rondo, they were a below 500 team with him. But I think when it comes to it, this team has had so much turnover every year. They've had nine new players. I think from the final roster of the 2012 playoffs to the beginning of the 2012, 2013 season, So hopefully this team is looking very similar, at least having a good amount of the players the same, because that's really what's going to come down to it, having the Celtics team have some cohesion. and I think with Jeff Green and Rondo, you're going to see that maybe a little rusted at the beginning of the season with Rondo coming back. But if he can find his way, Rondo, and not have to worry about any streak or any assisting, because that definitely weighed him down at the beginning of the 2012 season, 2012-2013 season. If he cannot think about any streaks or any stupid things, focused on winning, I think he'll be able to turn Jeff Green, to a top 10, top team, top 15 player within the next few years.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, seeing, um, you know, the way – or Rondo having to see the way the team played, particularly in that six-week stretch in February and March when they played so well, with all the great ball movement, I, th- I think that probably hit home with Rondo. I was really pleased that he, would you know, traveled with the team throughout the playoffs. So, you know, I, I'm, I really look forward to a big year for him next year. And you hit the nail on the head. There's been a tremendous amount of turnover on this team since – you know, what we, we came to call the Big Three era started, and I think, you know, fans get hung up and, and the media gets hung up on this rebuilding phrase, and, and they don't really recognize the Celtics have been rebuilding all along. They've been rebuilding for several years now. I think folks get hung up on KG and Pierce and their status, and obviously, the, you know, when they do move on, it'll have a big impact, but, you know, hey, the rebuilding project has already begun, and and I think they're in good shape going forward. As you said, been put together a core of guys who can play, and, and certainly they need more. They, they you know they've got a, bi- a bit of a hole inside uh, especially without Garnett. Um, so they, they they need to add to that but it's not like the cupboards bare and they've, they've done a great job of maintaining uh, cal- uh, salary cap flexibility going forward and for me that's the key is you know you don't ever you, if you become competitive you don't ever want to sacrifice that and take a, an intentional step back and into the lottery you, you you try and maintain it while keeping flexibility not giving big money to guys that aren't going to make a huge difference and and wait for those opportunities to come along to cash in and, and add that impact player. And I think that's where the Celtics are now. And so I think folks who are expecting a, a a blow it up scenario this off season are going to be uh pretty pretty severely
2: disappointed. Yeah, and you know, you were talking about how we have a a, a situation in which the last few years have been rebuilding. It, it arguably started with the Perkins trade. They knew that they were getting old, and they knew that Danny Age was said that maybe we're going to have to worry about trading Ray Allen. and he was dangled out there for several years. And I think that was a reason, one of the reasons why Danny ended up going with, uh, you know, why why uh, Ray ended up leaving, and that's a problem. You can't have to worry about a lot of guys leaving, and Ray Allen was, you know, considered a trader, but he left because the Celtics were dangling out there in trades. And I think the Celtics were proactive with Perkins because they weren't able to sign him after the year, and they turned him into arguably maybe a junior LeBron. You know, there are a lot of factors in – uh, in Jeff Green's game that show that he can be a poor man's LeBron, and I think that's a great thing about uh, Jeff Green, and maybe they won that trade. Maybe they, didn't, maybe they hurt themselves in the playoffs in 2010, but we don't even know if they'd be able to make that run with Perkins. We have no idea, but now that we know in the long run, they definitely won the trade. Great. Well, let, let's pick
0: this up after the break and continue talking a little bit about what the future may hold for the Celtics. So we're going to go to break now and be back in a few minutes. Stick with us.
1: Hey, Mike Faye from Mike T here, just reminding you about the outstanding shows here on CLNS Radio. Jay King of Celticstown.com and Ty Ray of CLNS Radio join forces to bring you Celticstown, king of the court, every Monday night. If Jeff Green grabs a rebound, run up court with it, just get the ball and work it up the floor, and make Tommy and proud, because I know he loves that style of play. Careless whispers with Matt Rury and Calvin Chamberlain hits the airwaves Tuesday night. You can't compare that to an NBA rivalry where... You're going to hate
2: LeBron James for the next seven years, and you've already hated him for five years.
1: Tune in for the block party with CLNS locker room reporter Jared Wise and NHL content manager Lee Herman on Thursday nights. I actually really have high hopes for Chris Bork. I'm not going to yep. compare him to Ray. And don't forget to tune into the Celtics post game show following every single Celtics game. You can find that at CLNS Radio, Celtics Blog, and iTunes. It's invaluable how much Jeff Green means to this team right now if he can continue to play this way. That's not all. There are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you The Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at Celticsblog.com. This is
2: Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to ELNS Radio.
1: What's new at CLNSradio.com? We're striving to make this your first and last destination for all things sports. It all starts with our Celtics postgame show. CLNS is the proud home of the only online postgame broadcast that covers every single Celtics game. Along with Celtics Blog, CLNS brings you the Garden Report. It's the only YouTube post-game show recorded on the parquet floor. CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss and Celtics blogs Jimmy Toscano report on the home games in high definition. And if you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page, you can find raw post-game videos from the Celtics locker room. Stay up to date with us and text CLNS fans to 22838 for free updates from CLNS Radio. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. We're getting bigger, we're getting better, and you can find it all at CLNSRadio.com. CLNSRadio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio.
0: All right, folks, welcome back to Celtics Beat. Once again, I'm Rich Conti and joining me is Adam Lowenstein of CLNS Radio. And we were talking before the break about uh, the future of the Celtics, and we're really talking quite a bit about Jeff Green. As most folks would agree, uh, he plays – you know, pretty large role in what's to come for the Celtics. Um, you know, he's he's certainly positioned himself to move into a starting uh, role next season. And, Adam, I'm wondering, um, you know, where do you see Jeff Green fitting in? Um, you know, a lot of folks, I, I guess, have seen him as the heir apparent to Paul Pierce and, and potentially in to start at the uh, three next season. You know, if Pierce comes back, maybe having kind of – 100. After next series and and seeing what's going on in the NBA now with with guys who are you know pretty um uh, you know classically small forwards guys like LeBron and Carmelo now being shifted to the four in kind of these small lineups playing this this hybrid role, I'm beginning to wonder if ultimately the the power forward spot might not be the best place for Jeff Green uh, going into next season. See
2: that's an interesting point because we don't really know. <laughs> what the plans are. You know, there are some big men out there. I think you know, I've always looked at some of those guys, you know, the seven foot talls, the Samuel and Down bears that usually like to mop up the middle. There aren't that many anymore in the NBA. Yeah. Fortunate, but the game is changing. And Jason, we're just not sure whether he has the strength to play up against the Zach Randolph where they have the typical four or five in Memphis. But most teams are like Miami and they have LeBron playing the four. And Jeff Green just—we're not sure whether he can play both, but he did this year. They were playing the small lineups, and I—I I really just don't know what Danny Ainge's plans are. Most likely, he's—you know—they're not going to make too many major splashes. We just—you know—usually they don't. The last time they done that was '08, really, or '07 when the big three came to town, or big three were assembled. So. I'm going to guess he might be that still that hybrid role next year, and I'm still in the, the camp that thinks that Pierce and Garnett are back, and I think Garnett, Green is definitely part of your crunch time lineup, and that's, of course, the most important one. I have no idea whether it is the starting lineup is kind of like that, you know, keep Pierce there because that's still him being announced last as the captain gives that crowd that feeling that he is still there. But maybe that, as the season goes on, Pierce only playing 20 minutes a game, maybe it is green that is your, your crunch time three, your crunch time four. I think he's still your hybrid player.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that the closing lineup. If you go back to 08, and, you know, particularly down the stretch, in the season and into the playoffs, their closing lineup included James Posey at the four. And yes. and certainly a lot of things have changed since then. You know, uh, Pierce and Garnett aren't the players they used to be. Rondo has taken a, a bigger role, uh, particularly on the offensive end. But, you know, if you compare uh, Jeff Green entering the prime of his career right now with, with the James Posey, who is kind of in, in the twilight uh, of his career at that point, Wow, man! You know, it seems like he could be really effective in that role of, of you know, being that four man who can go out and play tough defense and really harass folks, um, and and while at the same time spreading the floor and being a threat. Um, certainly, while Posey was a, a steady three point shooter, I don't think he was as effective from deep as uh, Jeff Green proved he was last season. And you know, in terms of taking the ball to the basket, certainly Posey can't hold a candle to Green in that capacity.
2: Yeah. It- it's an interesting uh, comparison. I do like that one because they are both big assets to the playoff team. Yeah, I always remember him for against the Lakers
1: and Stadium.
2: had that corny,
1: and he was also
2: able just to be a part of that He was really one of their big, not that great of a bench. Sellers so arguably have gotten, the guys has continued. Their far have had the injuries but I guess has up this up this sub next year and we just don't come next. And the team guys were the guys getting into this past, where I think started the first three games or so for this team, they were playing every single thing and they had to take on their roles. Pierce had to be wrong with the idea and short, that he was coming up with take more more and Jared Sollinger one team that will be interesting going forward with the Celtics team because if you have now Bass and Green these are two young guys or young guys sorry, that will usher this team I think he's, he's third best in playoff history of course it's a weird thing with playoff history but that's going to help this team go oh, like lot of these guys Jeff green's going to get those coverage i think as, but they uh pieces that they need to play green he can play bass before maybe you can have challenge and bass at the fourth at the same time if he cheese
0: yeah bass is an nursing guy i mean he, you know, he played uh classic on the defensive end and the uh the- and, you know, um, kind of in some ways redeemed a tough season overall. And, and you mentioned the you know, free throw shooting with having that reliable guy at the line, even if it is a relatively small sample size there. Um but um, you know, I, I'm not sure what his future with the team is there. You know, it's hard to have a lineup with both Green and Bass in there at the four and the five. Certainly, you're, you're going very small, and 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 you've got Sullinger, who's also a little bit undersized. Though I think Sullinger, um, you know, doesn't get credit for uh, the effectiveness he has on the defensive end. Different type than, than Bass, who, you know, Bass's strength was out there being able to move his feet and contest shots on a guy like Carmelo, where I think, you know, Solinger has a little bit of the, the, the Kevin Garnett in him on the defensive end, certainly not to the same level and certainly not the rim protector that KG is, but just kind of playing that quarterback on the back line and and the communication ability and, and just his his knack for being able to position himself in a way to um, you know to you know head off or discourage drives while still staying on his man. So you know I think he'll play a big part. I, I could see Bass being part of a, a package deal if, if Courtney Lee's value isn't too low. Um, you know those are two movable contracts that they could potentially use um, to you know to, to pick up. Uh, a potential impact player who's maybe worn out his welcome. On a couple of the past shows, I've thrown out the name of a guy like Eric Gordon, who seems to be really struggling in in New Orleans. I think if you look at the salaries, you know, Bass and um, Lee match up. Um, you know, with, with Gordon's salary, and he's still a young guy, and, and you know, maybe with, with a package of Bass and Lee and or a mellow or, you know, a pick or two, uh, they might be enticed to pull the trigger and take 75 cents on the dollar, and, you know, that gives you a guy, man, if he, if, you know, if he reaches the level that many expected of him, you know, he could be one of that, that extra jolt, that, that player to really, you know, kind of bring your offense
2: particularly up to that championship level. I was. I remember Daniel and I spoke to Bob Licht a few – I think it was about a month ago when the Celtics were facing the Hornets during the regular season. He's the former uh, New Orleans Hornets. I think it was when they were in the, the mix, when they were switching over to New Orleans. They, they they switched to everybody as far as broadcasting, but he was one of the guys who had covered them before and did it for for a long time. And he has been – looking at this Hornets team and saying, Eric Gordon does not fit. He's not a captain. Although he is one of the part of the rotation, he is not anywhere part of that team or part of the future. And there's a possibility that he does get traded because they just don't want him that much. And I think you're right. That is a great guy to point out because the Celtics do have enough pieces now because of their depth. And they could have played Twelve deep this year with how many guys before they got injured? You know they had Leandro Barbosa playing so a few minutes because they didn't have enough minutes for him. That's the reason why they're able to put these guys out there. And I think that that would be an interesting move because you know Bass or Solinger, whatever they, I think they want to hold on to Solinger and trade Bass. Is that is that what you were leaning towards?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Where Sollinger's a little bit younger, a little bit cheaper, and potentially yeah. a little bit more
2: upside. Yeah, because Sellinger, um, since Perkins, I think he's the only Celtic in the top 20 of defensive rebounding percentage, or I think it might be overall rebounding percentage. I was looking recently, and he is one of the best rebounds the Celtics have had in the new Big Three era, and I think that's why they definitely want to have him for the long run, because Sellinger is a huge part of this, whether it be a four or five, most likely, hopefully, playing as the four for the Celtics team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I could see, you know, if KG comes back, um, you know, bringing him off the bench as the first big off the bench, um, seeing, you know, Green start at the four or potentially, and then Sullinger either, you know, coming off the bench alongside KG, which – I think those two make a fantastic pair, and, and, and that would be an interesting one-two punch coming off the bench on the back line, KG and Sullinger. And, and I, I think one of the other pieces they need to add, I think they do need to add a big that can kind of serve as that rim protector back there, somebody mobile, agile, you know, um, you know, not looking for a lot of touches on the offensive end, you know, willing to go out there and set some screens and really, you know, protect on the defensive end. Um and you know I think that's a piece they're missing, and the big question is can, can they get somebody like that at a you know relatively inexpensive price? Certainly a guy that um, you know would would fit the bill, but but is
2: probably out of their reach would be a guy like Larry Sanders on on the box. That yeah, that's a tough one. I had mentioned Dallin Barron. and he's usually unfortunately not the the. Um, You know, the cheapest of option, unfortunately, because they just – the the big man is such a commodity now. There there is such a dearth of centers, unfortunately. There's so so few of them that that the seven-foot Roy Hipper types are are few and far between, and Celtics are lucky to get somebody in the draft, let alone find somebody in free agency or – They'll, they barely ever go for foreign guys, but there's there's a few foreign big men that, that are in the draft that I think I've seen around. I've never heard of their names, but they're, they're, there's a possibility of, of a few guys that they could sneak up with the draft. I think they have the 16th pick as of right now and it's, it's going to be an interesting situation for the Celtics' offseason because they do, it would be nice to see them have a big man because of how the rim protection is just so tough. They're one of the best. For having no one at the rim, the Celtics' defense is fantastic. Finishing in the top five or so in the regular season, defensive efficiency, is amazing when you don't have a guy, except for Kevin Garnett, who can protect someone at the rim.
0: Yeah, absolutely, particularly with their – Style of defense where they play heavy on the strong side and they are, you know, susceptible when teams swing the ball to somebody taking it to the basket. You know, having that guy back there as that back line of defense as they did when KG was in his prime. And and actually, I thought Perk did a good job of it. A little bit different style. You know, he's not going to be among the league leaders in in block shots, but just his physical presence there was kind of a deterrence. And I I think they are missing that. Um, You know, as you mentioned, they have the 16th pick. Uh, There's a couple of names that, that. have been thrown around. I think Brian Scalabrini uh this past week um made some mention of and, and was pretty high on uh, Stephen Adams out of the um University of Pittsburgh uh, by way of New Zealand. Um who's a 7-footer, you know, pretty solidly built and and just really active, athletic guy for his size without, you know, much of an offensive game at this point. So you know, I suppose he could be somebody and he might be available with that sixteen pick. But, you know, the way the team is constructed right now, I have a hard time seeing a rookie, um, you know, another rookie come in after Sellinger and, and make a, a significant dent in the rotation next year. Honestly, I'd be, you know, I know it would upset a lot of fans, uh, but I'd be fine if they went ahead and, and, and dealt that pick, particularly if, it was,
2: if they could use it to bring in, you know, a veteran that can contribute next year. That's a good point because Fab Mello, we have no idea whether he's going to be ready in the next year or the next five years because, you know, they want to take a stab with him. They're they, they, they are lucky with Jared, and, and it'll be an, an interesting situation to follow Fab Mello's progress because he was dominating the D League, but the D League is so much slower compared to the NBA. But he does have the size the Celtics didn't have an opportunity to take much else size at that point. So they they, they took a stab, and, and Danny's hoping that that will come into fruition, but maybe it's within the next few years, and that's why I think your veteran idea with going with that pick and maybe trading it for a guy who can impact now would be helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, shifting gears a bit, it looks like we've got a final just in in the last couple of minutes. Uh, Golden State has even their series with San Antonio after a uh, kind of exciting offseason, and I know you were at game a bit.
2: I was taking a look at that one, and I was, I, you know, I was hoping we could talk about it. I'm glad we're able to to, to talk a little NBA right now because it kind of feels weird just talking off season. And with, with with the Warriors here, that they have taken three guards and, and decided, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna you know go inside out. And and it's amazing. Harrison Barnes stepped up today, and and it's going to be a fun series because this Warriors team has provided so much fun and so much excitement. And and I love watching the Spurs, although the rest of the nation seems to be very nonchalant about them. Seven Curry stepping up at the end there. I think the Spurs missed their seven. Their first seven shots of the overtime, but the Warriors were able to force the OT and got the victory and tied that series up. I think this is a great series and most likely will be going seven.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the Warriors are fun team to watch. You know, you mentioned, you know, committing to the three guards. Heck, when, when David Lee went down, you could argue they were playing a four-guard lineup. <laughs> you know, I think Barnes is, uh, uh you know, officially denoted as a, a small forward. But, you know, realistically, he's six 6'6", guy who, you know, looks to shoot from the outside. And he was manning the power forward spot. And, and you know, what can you say about Steph Curry? I think uh, Zach Lowe from Grantland.com did an excellent piece this past week talking about how the Warriors offense has transitioned in the absence of Lee, and, and basically they've handed over the car keys completely to Steph Curry and given him the green light to shoot from mid-court. And just having a guy, you know, that can handle the ball like that, that has the quickness that he has, you know, just running pick-and-roll after pick-and-roll and having the ability to pull up 30 feet from the hoop off that pick-and-roll. And and more amazingly, to be able to shoot from that kind of range off the dribble is just you know, almost an indefensible weapon in the NBA.
1: Yeah,
2: it's the Warriors' offense. You know, has been fantastic for many years because they've always had those dynamic scores. We even remember Baron Davis when they upset the Mavericks in the first round back just quite a few years ago. I think that was 07. and you know, they haven't won, They hadn't won a playoff series since they upset. Those Mavericks, and then coming in this postseason, losing their only All Star. You know, surprising that Lee was the All Star and Curry wasn't, seeing what Curry is able to do. But of course, the point guards are able to do so much because when the guards are just taking over this game, it's great to see that they're able to do it. The dedication to defense is a great thing as well for this Warriors team because they put together a strong defensive team. Whoever's on the floor, it's surprising. Jared Jack kind of gets lost sometimes, and that's where your your defensive liabilities. And we saw with the Celtics, Jason Terry is a similar situation. But if you can hide him. Him, you allow Andrew Bogut to protect the hoop. That's huge, being one of a few centers who can protect the hoop in the league, and hopefully stay healthy for the rest of the playoffs. Bogut's big there. Barnes, very athletic, able to stay in front of guys, and then Curry and Thompson. Thompson's so big that he can play almost any guard. It's great to have him because he can move around there, and then Curry's able to stick with the other player who's out there. And the Spurs just don't have as much. You know, they just aren't as good overall, and they're not able to just take down this Warriors team. Just all old veterans. You know, of course, it's a similar situation as the Celtics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And another name I'll throw into the hopper on uh, defense for Golden State is Draymond Green. I think when when Lee went down, uh, he really stepped up and just you know kind of became that enforcer, disruptive type on the defensive end, and really made a big difference in the Nuggets series and and you know in Game One of the uh, series against the Spurs. Well, we're going to um, go to break again, and when we get back, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, Golden State-San Antonio series as well as the other three series that are going on. So stick with us on Celtics Beat for CLNS Radio. Don't go anywhere. The Celtics Beat returns after this.
1: Hey, Mike Fay from Mike T here. Just reminding you about the outstanding shows here on CLNS Radio. Jay King of Celticstown.com and Ty Ray of CLNS Radio join forces to bring you Celticstown, king of the court, every Monday night.
2: If Jeff Green grabs a rebound, run up court with it, just get the ball and work it up the floor and make Tommy and proud because I know he loves that style of play.
1: Careless Whispers with Matt Rury and Calvin Chamberlain hits the airwaves Tuesday night. You
2: can't compare that to an NBA rivalry where you're gonna- Hate LeBron James for the next seven years, and you've already hated him for five years.
1: Tune in for the block party with CLNS locker room reporter Jared Wise and NHL content manager Lee Herman on Thursday nights. I actually really have high hopes for Chris Bork. I'm not gonna yeah. compare him to Ray. And don't forget to tune into the Celtics post game show following every single Celtics game. You can find that at CLNS Radio, Celtics Blog, and iTunes. It's invaluable how much Jeff Green means to this team right now if he can continue to play this way. That's not all. There are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD post-game show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at Celticsblog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you are listening to ELNS Radio. What's new at clnsradio.com? We're striving to make this your first and last destination for all things sports. It all starts with our Celtics post-game show. CLNS is the proud home of the only online post-game broadcast that covers every single Celtics game. Along with Celtics blog, CLNS brings you The Garden Report. It's the only YouTube post-game show recorded on the parquet floor. CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss and Celtics Blog's Jimmy Toscano report on the home games in high definition. And if you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page, you can find raw post game videos from the Celtics Locker Room. Stay up to date with us and text CLNS fans to 22828 for free updates from CLNS Radio. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347 215 7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. We're getting bigger, we're getting better, and you can find it all at CLNSradio.com. CLNSradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio.
0: And now, welcome to the Celtic Seat with Daniel Baker. All right, welcome back to Celtic Speed. I'm your host, Rich Conti, and again with me is uh, Adam Lowenstein. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about the uh, Golden State-San Antonio game, which just wrapped up, a nice win for Golden State to even that series. And we were talking a little bit about the series in, in general, um, you know, it, I can see this one going either way. I think a big, um, uh, you know, big factor is going to be the state of Seth Curry's ankle. I think he, you know, really um, played through some, some, some pain today and, and played through the injury. And, um, you know, if, if he misses the game the rest of the way, I have a hard time seeing Golden State winning. And But if he can get out there and, and is you know, anywhere near his, um, you know, usual self, I I can see Golden State pulling off this series, you know, certainly the the Spurs took back home court advantage with their win the other night. Um but I you know, I don't um you know, I don't think there's uh, it's out of the question that Golden State can win
2: another game on the road. It's absolutely crazy that it seems like the Spurs played a little bit better in Golden State and Golden State seemed to play a little better in San Antonio. Uh, It's weird that this home court advantage seems to be maybe... I don't even know how much it matters in this series, but after the first two games, making it now a three-game series, two of which the games are in San Antonio... I really don't know if San Antonio is able to take advantage of that because if Steph Curry is healthy, if you, do, you still have Klay Thompson, who's a great threat from the outside, and they're both able to handle the ball. And then Harrison Barnes coming alive today, and then they have a pretty complete team, even without Lee. I'm still surprised they've been able to do it without Lee, but you're right, the changing of... Of their their uh, their offense has really been big, and, and Draymond Green helping out, Jared Jack obviously being a big part of the team. Yeah, I'm, you know what? I think if I had to pick a team right now, I might be picking the Warriors. It's just because they have a little bit more. I, maybe they're just fighting for more, and, and the Spurs just don't have enough on either end of the floor. I just don't know what it is with the Spurs team. They just don't they just don't wow me anymore. Yeah,
0: you know it's um, you know they've been able to kind of you know remain uh, contending, especially in the regular season, with some you know impressive regular season win totals the past couple of seasons. You know despite you know Tim Duncan kind of being at that same point in his career as KG and Pierce are, and you know Popovich always does a a wonderful job coaching and, and really getting the most out of his players, and they've shown an amazing ability to kind of pull guys basically off the scrap heap and, and plug them into key roles, you know, guys like Gary Neal and Danny Green and Tiago Splitter have kind of all stepped up for him. Um, and they've, they've added a potential impact player for the future who's, you know, obviously already a big part of their rotation in Kawhi Leonard, but, you know, this may actually be the end of the road for this Burs team. You know, I think if they, they lose in this series, um, You know, I I think the Spurs will be looking to, you know, maybe make some changes. You know, Manu certainly plays older than his age, you know, with all the miles he's put on his body. Uh, Tony Parkers, um, you know, even before he came to the NBA, played professional basketball um, out in France, and he's been in the NBA since 20 or so years old. So it'd be interesting uh, to see where they go, uh, you
2: know, beyond this year. Yeah, because it feels like they're the ageless veterans there out in San Antonio, but, They've actually floundered a little bit the last few years in the playoffs. Remember their 20-game winning streak that came to a halt as the Thunder won fourth straight after dropping the first two to San Antonio. And then, you know, we have not seen them have the greatest success in the playoffs. I remember also the Memphis sweep or the Memphis taking them down in the first round, I'm pretty sure, a few years ago as well. Uh, The, the, The Spurs just haven't been the playoff team that they were of the earlier part of the decade. Maybe it is age. Maybe it is them getting a little bit older and Popovich not having as much key cogs to complement the big three that they have. And, And, you know, Duncan and they had to play a few extra minutes tonight playing in the OT. And they missed seven shots in a row. And there's a reason why they did that. I think it's because of definitely they're kind of running down and, and they just aren't as, as as spry as they were when they won back in, in the early 2000s.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You just mentioned the Memphis Grizzlies, who, are of course, uh, in the other series out west with a two games to one lead over the Oklahoma City Thunder. And wow, if the uh, the Warriors manage to uh, put away the Spurs, that potentially sets up a interesting uh, contrast in styles in the Western Conference Finals if the Grizzlies are able to put away, um, you know, put away the um, Oklahoma City Thunder who are, of course, without Russell Westbrook. You'd have the big bruising Memphis Grizzlies led by Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph and and all their strength inside um, as well as, you know, Tony Allen's rugged defense on the perimeter up against the, you know, you know offensively offensive high power of the um firepower of the Golden State Warriors that would make for a really uh, compelling
2: matchup yeah that Memphis Grizzlies team seems to be taking control of their series and most likely people are picking them to win that now and even before the series started because of that Westbrook injury and it's and so unfortunate for OKC okay, but you know this Memphis team has has stood its ground. They even got rid of Gay. Rudy Gay, arguably one of the least efficient stars in the league. And there has been a sabermetric, in my opinion, a little bit of that separation between the Mike Trout, Miguel Cabrera conversation, the MLB, coming to the NBA with Rudy Gay being a low-efficiency player. He is not taking the best shots for his team. While he could be the great end-of-game scorer, he they, the more the Memphis Grizzlies might have not been here if they had Gay. They just don't have as much worrisome, uh, worries on the offensive end now. I think Mike Conley manning that ship and having the different options. Even Tony Allen's improved his offense. I think having the two big men in the middle, you have Zach Randolph, you have Marcus. Sol, those guys are fantastic. Then Allen's improved his offense. Mike Conley, arguably one of the shining stars of the NBA now, he's moving into the upper echelon of the point guards, and he can lead that team to the finals if he really steps it up, which he has thus far.
0: Yeah, I think the trade of Gay actually gave Memphis an identity. I, I think, you know, they were always, um, with him in the lineup, a bit conflicted as to who they were. And and I think, you know, Gay got the big contracts. So I think, you know, both for him himself as well as the team, there was some pressure for him to kind of be the man offensively. And, you know, you remove him from that equation, and their identity really locks into place, which is, you know, Mike Conley's out there, you know, leading the offense, getting you know team into the in into their sets and and pushing the ball and breaking down defenses. You've got Mark Gasol with his you know phenomenal play out of the high post, you know, just his ability to pass and keep the ball moving from that spot, as well as you know score on you know in a, a variety of uh, nifty turnarounds and moves inside. And then you know Zach Randolph and just his ability to generate offense, you uh, know, on the inside and and his offensive rebounding, and then you complement that with, the, the, you know, the already rugged defensive identity that I think they had, you know, led by uh, Gasol and, uh, and, of course, you know, the, the wonderful Tony Allen. I think this is a team that, you know, one of my big um, things I look for in terms of, you know, you know what teams are going to be successful in the playoffs are the teams that really have a, a, a really compelling and singular identity. They they know who they are and everybody knows who they are and they're not going to change that. And and I think uh, the, the Grizzlies kind of have that this year. And and man, Oklahoma City was was a favorite to reach the finals coming into the year, but. Without Westbrook, I think that really, you know, limits them in that it puts way too much on the shoulders of Kevin Durant and and too much on the shoulders of Reggie Jackson to step up and re, and replace uh, Westbrook's uh, contributions
2: offensively. Absolutely, they don't have a guy like Jared Bayless coming off the bench to be able to man the point guard position when Mike Conley's out. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, Jared Bayless, who has stepped up for Memphis. While on the other hand, you know, you have this Thunder team that's, that's having trouble being able to manufacture points because when Devin Durant's not out there, they're looking at a team that's severely, severely punished on the offensive end because Memphis, they are the second best team in the NBA as far as defense, defense goes. And, and the Pacers, who I think we'll get to in a, in a minute or so, the Pacers, the best team in the, in the league, and they're showing their defensive prowess. But the Memphis Grizzlies right in their defense, and of course, they do have an okay offense that can keep them going. But defense is so important for both the Memphis Grizzlies and the Warriors heading forward to make it to the Western Conference Finals. And you know, what? I think I hope that that is the uh, the series. And you would mention it; that'd be a fun series. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's head out to east
0: while we get a few um, uh, head back east while we have a few minutes. Man, the uh, the Knicks and the Indiana Pacers in the first half uh, seem like they set basketball on the offensive end back 50 years. Uh, uh, a 36-33 halftime score. You know, the Knicks' woes offensively seem to be carrying over from their series against the Celtics, uh, particularly for J.R. Smith.
2: The best thing about the Celtics, as far as their series went, was that they were able to force this Knicks team into a lot of poor shots. And the Pacers, who are an even better defensive team than the Celtics, were able to complement off that and take advantage. Jarrett Smith, since the suspension, very, very poor from the field. Carmelo Anthony, since injuring his arm, and he seems to injure his arm every game now. They have to pop it in, pop it out. It feels like it's unfortunate that he's getting injured every single time, but that might have a a part in in why he's struggling from the field. But this Pacers team is just stronger. I was not too high on the Knicks. You know, I was high on, you know, it was whenever, whenever the people put down the Knicks, I think I, I was able to talk about them as, like, maybe a sneaky team. But when people talk about as the favorite to come out, or, or everybody in New York was talking about them having a chance to make it to the finals, they would be lucky to make it to the Eastern Conference finals, let alone make it to the finals. Because this Pacers team, even though they, they went up 2-1 last year against the Heat and struggled, I think are able to finish off the series against the Knicks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm not a big fan of teams whose offense is centered around guys being able to basically hit bad shots, which is, you know, what what Carmelo Anthony and J.R. Smith's strengths are. And Indiana, on the other hand, you know, they they have a little bit of, uh, you know, the the 2008 Celtics uh, in them, at least on the defensive end. You know, they're they're willing to step up and hit you in the mouth. Um, They're never going to, you know, miss assignments on defense. They're never going to... Um, you, know, give, you know, give you any kind of lack of effort on the defensive end, and they seem to be able to just score enough points to win. Certainly, Paul George is coming onto his own, uh, coming into his own on both ends of the court, and and Hibbert seems to have recovered from a, a tough beginning to the season to be that steady force inside, and you can always count on David West. For you know that that mid-range game, so I, I'm with you. I like the Pacers in this series, and I like them to to to, to give a bit of a a, a
2: run to the Bulls or sorry to the Heat uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, this Pacers team, their youth might get in their way, and that's really the thing that that is tough about them. You know, George Hillman, the point guard. Position, or- Paul George, arguably one of the best young guys in the league right now, maybe the best young guy in the league, who I think I was looking at him last year hopefully being the most improved player, but maybe it's this year that he is the guy who is doing that because he is such an overall strong player that Danny Granger, most people thought he was going to be, but now it's Paul George who is revolutionary, revolutionizing this Pacers franchise. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I think he's uh, close to a lock for the most improved player. Hey, Adam, while we've got about a minute left, um, I, I wanted to kind of... Um, Ask you, um, you know, now that the it looks like the, the big three era is finally drawing to a close, what's your what's your favorite memory of of, of the, the, the past six years with the Celtics?
2: I mentioned it briefly early in the show and I loved this. I was actually there out in the Staple Center. It was unbelievable to see it. It was game four of the 08 finals, Posey with that three in the corner, Ray Allen taking the ball to the hoop. The Celtics, huge comeback coming down from I think it was twenty one points that they were down and winning that game four, basically putting the series in their pocket, getting the 2008 finals, basically winning that game. It was a great game, game four. Got to love that one.
0: Yeah, that's a great memory. I mean, that comeback was something special. And I'll, I'll never forget Ray Allen breaking uh, Sasha Vujovic ankles uh, down the stretch there. So, you know, um, I think we're planning on doing a show coming up in
2: the next couple of weeks on CLNS Radio
0: for the best, the best memories of the big three era. So I hope you'll be able to join us for that.
2: I'll, I'll definitely try my best. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, thanks, Adam. And good night, everybody.